पाद परम हमसा परिव्राज Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om akyana timrandasya janajana shalakaya chakshulrumitam jena tasmay shri gurave namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Banovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutales Vayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who is established within this material world, the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vansha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sindhubhyevacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Sri Vastakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Sri Sri Radha Kalachanji, Srila Prabhupada, and Srila Gurudev Use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya 
Today is Tuesday, June 7th, 2022, and I am Jay Sri Devidasi. We are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 16, How Parikshit Received the Age of Kali. Text 1. Sutta Uvacha Tata Parakshid Vija Varya Shikshaya Mahim Maha Bhagavata Sasha Shaha Yata Hi Sutyam Abhijata Kovida Samidasan Vipra Mahadgunas Tata Sutta Uvacha Sutta Goswami said Tata thereafter Parikshit Maharaj Parikshit Dvijavarya, the great twice-born Brahmanas, Shikshaya, by their instructions, Mahim, the earth, Mahabhagavata, the great devotee, Sashasa, ruled, Ha, in the past, Yatha, as they told it, He, certainly, Satyam, at the time of his birth, Abhijata Kovida, Expert astrologers at the time of birth. Samadishan gave their opinions. Vipra, O Brahmanas. Mahatguna, great qualities. Tata, true to that. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Sutta Goswami said, O learned Brahmanas, Maharaj Parikshit then began to rule over the world as a great devotee of the Lord under the instructions of the best of the twice-born Brahmanas. He ruled by those great qualities which were foretold by expert astrologers at the time of his birth. Purport. At the time of Maharaj Parikshit's birth, the expert astrologer Brahmanas foretold some of his qualities. Maharaj Parikshit developed all those qualities, being a great devotee of the Lord. The real qualification is to become a devotee of the Lord, and gradually all the good qualities worthy of possession develop. Maharaj Parikshit was a Mahabhagavata, or a first-class devotee, who was not only well-versed in the science of devotion, but also able to convert others to become devotees by his transcendental instructions. Maharaj Parikshit was therefore a devotee of the first order, and thus he used to consult great sages and learned brahmanas who could advise him by the shastras how to execute the state administration. Such great kings were more responsible than modern elected executive heads because they obliged the great authorities by following their instructions left in Vedic literatures. There is no need for impractical fools to enact daily a new legislative bill and to conveniently alter it again and again to serve some purpose. The rules and regulations were already set forth by great sages like Manu, Yagnavalkya, Parasara, and other liberated sages. And the enactments were all suitable for all ages and all places. Therefore, the rules and regulations were standard and without flaw or defect. Kings like Maharaj Pariksit had their council of advisors, and all the members of that council were either great sages or brahmanas of the first order. They did not accept any salary, nor had they any necessity for such salaries. The state would get the best advice without expenditure. They were themselves samadarshi, equal to everyone, both 
human and animal. They would not advise the king to give protection to human and instruct them to kill the poor animals. Such council members were not fools or representatives to compose a fool's paradise. They were all self-realized souls, and they knew perfectly well how all living beings in the state would be happy, both in this life and in the next. They were not concerned with the hedonistic philosophy of eat, drink, be merry, and enjoy. They were philosophers in the real sense, and they knew well what is the mission of human life. Under all these obligations, the advisory council of the king would give correct directions, and the king or executive head, being themselves a qualified devotee of the Lord, would scrutinizingly follow them for the welfare of the state. The state in the days of the Maharaj, of Maharaj Yudhisthira and Maharaj Parikshit was a welfare state in the real sense of the term, because no one was unhappy in that state, be they human or animal. Maharaj Parikshit was an ideal king for a welfare state of the world. So today we'll discuss um, what are the qualities of a devotee. In the verse um, today's verse, it says, oh, Sutta Goswami said, O learned Brahmanas, Maharaj Parikshit then began to rule over the world as a great devotee of the Lord under the instructions of the best of the twice-born Brahmanas. He ruled by those great qualities which were foretold by expert astrologers at the time of his birth. So here we're looking at um, Maharaj Parikshit being a great devotee with great qualities. So that begs the question, what are these great qualities? In the purport, Prabhupada says, the real qualification is to become a devotee of the Lord, and gradually all the good qualities worthy of possession develop. So first and foremost, the biggest quality of a devotee is that they are a devotee of the Lord. Right? Who are they devoted to? What? Who are they a devotee of? And that's Lord Krishna. So what are these qualities that develop? Even Arjuna has this question. In Bhagavad Gita 2.54, Arjuna asks, O Krishna, what are the symptoms of one whose consciousness is thus merged in transcendence? How do they speak? What is their language? How do they sit? How do they walk? And how does Krishna answer him? In Bhagavad Gita 2.55 through 2.56, Nine, he says, um, these are the qualities he emphasizes. They give up all varieties of desire for sense gratification, which arise from mental concoction. And Prabhupada states this as one of the qualities that um, they're not concerned with hedonistic philosophy of eat, drink, be merry, and enjoy. Hedonistic philosophy is just that, of enjoying that everything we do, the whole purpose of life, is to find pleasure. So, Nothing can be wrong as long as it brings us pleasure. That's pretty much the hedonistic philosophy of life. So Krishna says they give this up because it arises from mental concoction. And then this purified mind finds satisfaction in the self alone. That's someone who's in pure consciousness. Goes on to say, they're not disturbed in mind, even amidst the threefold miseries. So we know that the material world is full of miseries and we've already, we've discussed at length the threefold miseries, right? The threefold miseries are the miseries that come from, um, the, 
nature, right? The miseries that we get from nature, like the weather, the storms. They're miseries that we get from other living entities, other people in our lives, um, other animals in our lives, other living, you know, just other living entities that can bring us misery. And then from our own self, basically our own mind that can bring us misery. They are not elated when there's happiness um, and they're free from attachment, fear, and anger. This person is called a sage of steady mind. So when we talk about the threefold miseries and the miseries of the mind, this is what we're talking about. Like the miseries of the mind come from um, being based in external in, um, sources, right? We're only happy if the weather is like 70 degrees and it's not too cold or not too hot. And um, when there's happiness, that's the only time we'll feel happiness. We don't just naturally feel it. Um, we're attached. We have fear and anger. And that's all coming from the mind. In Bhagavad Gita 2.57, Krishna says, In the material world, one who is unaffected by whatever good or evil they may obtain, neither praising it nor despising it, is firmly fixed in perfect knowledge. Again, this comes back to controlling the mind. We're not affected by if we find something good or bad or, um, you know, not really designating things as good or bad, right? We don't praise it or despise it. It's just there. It's something to help us get us closer to Krishna. In Bhagavad Gita 2.58, a person that's able to withdraw senses from sense objects as the tortoise draws its limbs within the shell is firmly fixed in perfect consciousness. In 259, the embodied soul may be restricted from sense enjoyment. The taste for sense objects remains. But ceasing such engagements by experiencing a higher taste, one is fixed in consciousness. So really, in order for us to experience this um, equanimity, right, whether it's caught cold, happy, distress, um evil, good, whatever it is, we're able to withdraw our senses because we're fixed on a higher taste. And that higher taste is Krishna, right? It's our relationship to Krishna. So once we start to look at, you know, what is the purpose of life? Why am I not always happy? Why am I miserable sometimes? Why is there suffering in the world? When we start asking these questions that are more higher level than just, how can I please myself and how can I find enjoyment? How can I take care of my family and help them find enjoyment? Then we start to understand that um, there's more to life than just enjoying, than just the hedonistic philosophy, as Prabhupada says in the, in the purport. So then we may find, start finding some answers that um, there's God and we are related to God, right? We have a relationship to the supreme being. And once we start to uncover that supreme being, we start developing these qualities. Now, in the Bhagavad Gita, there's several instances where Krishna um, goes through these qualities. But he also does it in chapter 12 because it's called devotional service. So he, in um, 12, 13 to 14, he gives a summary of the qualities of a devotee. They're not envious, Friend to all living entities, does not think of oneself as a proprietor, 
free from false ego, equal in both happiness and distress, tolerant pretty much of any situation, always satisfied, self-controlled, engaged in devotional service with determination, one's mind and intelligence fixed on Krishna. So when we look at not envious, that means that when we see someone that has something different than us, it could be more, it could be different. We don't automatically think, well, why do they get it? Why do they deserve it? Or we don't automatically covet it. Like, oh, I want that. I'm, I deserve that, right? So those are some ways envy can show up. It's not just like jealousy and, and wanting something what someone else has. It's also not wanting them to have it, feeling that they are less deserving somehow. And I'm more deserving. Why can't I have it? You know, that kind of feeling. Um, a friend to all living entities. And we see that, um, Maharaj Parikshit was definitely a friend to all living entities because he made sure that nobody was unhappy under his ruling, whether they were human or animal. And so that's, that's where there's no difference that, you know, a, a devotee doesn't see a difference between, um, a human or a dog or, um, a tree because they understand that all of these, um, Things are living entities. They have spirit soul. And it's just part of the cycle of life. Like at one point, our soul inhabited the bodies of different animals, of different plants to expend whatever karma that we needed to expend at that time. We've already discussed, you know, how we can be equal in happiness and distress. The way we do that is to always be satisfied because we always have that happiness within. It doesn't matter what's happening without right? Like what's happening outside of us. We always have that satisfaction and happiness within because we understand that we're related to Krishna and that whatever is going on is, um, for our benefit, right? Instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm suffering. This is horrible. Why is this happening to me? We can think, oh, why is Krishna doing this for me? What can I learn from this? What, how can I grow from this? How will this bring me closer to Krishna? Because it will. Um, a devotee puts no one in difficulty. This is from 1215. Is not disturbed by anyone and equiposed in happiness and distress, fear and anxiety. So again, this is that the, one of the threefold sufferings, right, is from other living entities. So a devotee doesn't want to cause suffering, the miseries to other living entities. So they don't want to disturb anyone else, nor do we want to be disturbed by anyone else? Because that's the other, that's one of the types of miseries is the misery from other people, other living entities. From 1216, um, they're not dependent on the ordinary course of activities. They are pure. They're expert without cares, free from all pains, not striving from for some result. So when we say that they're pure and they're expert, it just means that a person who is a devotee is pure in their motivations to become a devotee. Um, they're expert in whatever they do because Krishna gives us the intelligence, the skill, the resources to serve him. And therefore we become experts in whatever we're doing without cares. That means that when we do our duties, we do them without that attachment, without that desire for a certain outcome. 
So it's like, you know, you do your duty without cares. Again, um, in 12.17, rejoices, neither rejoices nor grieves, neither laments nor desires, and renounces both auspicious and inauspicious things. Because they're the same, basically. Good, bad, hot, cold, um, lamentations, desires, they're all, you know, that's part of being that, um, finding those qualities of equanimity. And then in 12.18, equal to friends and enemies, Equiposed in honor, dishonor, heat and cold, happiness and distress, fame and infamy. Always free from contaminating association. Always silent and satisfied with anything. Doesn't care for any residents. Fixed in knowledge and engaged in devotional service. So the only one that's pretty much different here is always silent. So we can see that... um, we look at some of the great acharyas, they weren't always silent. They were speaking. But really what what it means here to be silent is to only speak about Krishna and nothing else. So when we look at Prabhupada, he didn't talk about mundane things. He, If he did, he tied it back into Krishna. Like how does the mundane thing relate to and bring us closer to Krishna, bring us closer to our relationship with God? So when we say silent, it just means that the only words they speak are glorifying Krishna, glorifying God in some way. So we can look at these qualities and even further, you know, um, in the nectar of devotion, there's a whole list of qualities that are given 26, right? Because we are part and parcel of Krishna and Krishna has 26 qualities and we have them also, um, all 26 of them. It's just that we haven't really uncovered them or we're not, fully displaying those 26 qualities. But because we're a part and parcel, we have, we possess those qualities because whatever qualities Krishna has, we have it, but in smaller amounts. So some of these qualities that we've already discussed, very kind to everyone. Now we may think, you know, Bhakta so-and-so, I've seen him. He's not always kind to everyone. You know, sometimes a person can come across a devotee who's, um, mean or rude or doesn't appear to be kind to everyone. So then we think, well, how can this be person be a devotee if they're not kind? Well, we have to also understand in the Nectar of Devotion, chapter 26, it explains to us that there are two classifications of devotees. Those who are already in the perfectional stage of devotional service And in the perfectional stage, we'll see all these qualities manifest. But there's also those who are cultivating devotional service. And that's where most of us fall into the category of. We're on the path. We're cultivating devotional service. So if we're thinking that, oh, this this devotee here is not kind to everyone, well, we may ourselves may not be kind to everyone, right? We may not be manifesting that quality ourselves. And usually what we are affected by other people is a reflection of what we see as our own shortcomings. So if we learn to um, see everyone as having these qualities already, right? So if I'm focused on finding the kindness in someone who doesn't appear kind, I can find examples because that's what I'm laser focused on finding, right? If you... 
ever noticed this? I've noticed this before, actually, when I bought my last car several years ago. Um, I did some research, and I decided, okay, this is the kind of car I was going to buy. I decided a Ford Fusion. And prior to that point of deciding that that was the car I was going to buy, I didn't notice a single Ford Fusion on the road. But after I decided that was the car I was going to buy, that's all I saw. I didn't realize how many Ford Fusions were on the road and that my car wasn't going to be as unique as I thought. And that's really how it is. When we start looking for something, when we are attention and focus goes towards something, then we start to notice it. So if we start working on on trying to notice these qualities, right? Very kind to everyone, does not make anyone their enemy. Sometimes we can feel like, you know, this person's really rude to everyone. They're kind. They're not kind. They have choice words for everyone, and they're just making enemies everywhere they go. That's all we'll notice because that's what all we're focused on. But if we start to notice how they are kind, right, how they're really not trying to make enemies with everyone. Um, Some of these are harder to notice, right? Truthful um, is another quality that we see in devotees that we would let, you know, that's a quality of a devotee. We may not always see it because someone may um, say something that's not apparently truthful. But again, if we focus on only the faults, only the flaws of someone, we're going to see that. If we start to focus on all the ways that they are truthful, then that brings that quality out more in each person that we see, as well as our own selves. Um, equal to everyone, no one can find any fault in them. And this one, when I read it, it made me laugh, because it's like, well, we have so many faults, right? Like, I have so many faults. I know some, you know, all of us have so many faults. We all know we're not perfect. But really the key here is that we don't want to focus on the faults. We want to focus on the strengths of someone, you know, how they are manifesting that they don't have any faults. You know, how are they portraying that? Magnanimous, mild, always clean, without possessions, works for everyone's benefit, very peaceful, always surrendered to Krishna, no material desires, very meek, steady, controls their senses, does not eat more than required, not influenced by the Lord's illusory energy, offers respect to everyone, does not desire any respect for themselves, very grave, merciful, friendly, poetic, expert, and silent. So we read all of these qualities and you can think, man, I, we can first reflect on ourselves. Like, How many of these qualities do I exhibit, you know, do I embody myself? And then, you know, we start to think of other devotees that we know, friends that we may have as devotees, and we're like, well, they're not always peaceful, or they're not, they have so many material desires. But really, again, it comes to what are we focusing on, right? If we're under this understanding that we're all on this path of cultivating pure devotional service, and the more we cultivate, the more of these qualities will start to manifest. So if we focus on those manifested qualities in ourselves and in others, that's what's going to grow. That's what we're going to give attention to. You know, we can have a conversation with two people. I was um, engaged in a discussion uh, earlier, I guess later last week, um, and we were talking about how we communicate with each other. And... You know, sometimes we have our, like, phrases that can trigger us that are pet peeves for us, right? So it could be something like, um, 
you know, for me, uh, I know one that triggers that used to trigger me doesn't trigger me so much anymore is, wow, you speak English really well, right? Because they look at me, they see that, um, I'm a woman, I'm Indian bodied, and yet I speak English American without an accent. Well, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, of course I was born and raised here. How else would I speak English? Right. And so on some levels, I used to take that as like an insult or a microaggression. Um, but then we can also look at what was the other person trying to say, right? Were they really trying to insult me? Were they really trying to say like, you know, um, you're Indian. How do you speak so well? You know, were they surprised by that? Was it kind of a, a hidden insult or, were they just trying to find something to compliment me on? Were they just trying to find some way that they could connect with me? Right. And if we look at how we interact with each other, majority of us, um, are not intentionally insulting other people. The majority of us are trying to actually connect with other people because we want to belong. We want to have a sense of community. And we want that because that's part of our nature. Um, you know, we're eternal spirit souls. Yes, we're eternal beings of knowledge and bliss, and we have an eternal relationship with Krishna. But we also have eternal relationships with other devotees that have relationships with Krishna. So we're never alone, right? As a soul, we're never alone. But when we are here in the material world, sometimes we can find ourselves alone, we can find ourselves without a, a community, a society, a tribe. Um, you know, we, especially here in America, we tend to be very individualistic, very pioneer. So other than our immediate family, we may not have more than that in our community. So we all have this sense of desire to belong, to be part of a community. And so when we interact with each other, most of us have that desire of like, let me compliment, let me say something nice about this person without realizing what their experiences have been and what some things we may say have been said to them in an insulting manner, in an, an intentional insulting manner, right? So, um, you know, I have been said that, you know, I've had someone say that to me in an insulting manner to kind of put me down so that they can feel more inferior to me or more superior to me. But majority of the time when someone says that to me, it's more out of their own experiences. They see that as a compliment. They see that as they were just trying to connect with me or please me. So if, if we're like that in our interactions with other people that we always give the other person the benefit of the doubt then we will be more kind to everyone and we will work at not making everyone our enemy. And we tend to find more pleasing interactions. You know, one of the things that I've been realizing and working on is that, um, no one triggers us more than our own family that we grew up with. We have patterns of behavior with our family especially our parents, right? Whenever, doesn't matter how old you are, whenever you get around your parents, you're back to being that rebellious teen trying to establish who you are um, and show that you're grown and you know what you're talking about. 
And recently, I've just been realizing that um, with my interactions with my mom and I, you know, she'll say something and in that moment, I felt highly criticized, highly, you know, highly insulted. And so that pattern has been with our relationship since I was, you know, young, since I can remember. But lately I've been realizing that my mom's intention isn't to criticize me, isn't to put me down. Her intention is to protect me, to share that love with me, right? To show love in the way that she knows how. And most of us express our love and advice um, from our own fears, from our own experiences that have brought us pain. And we want to protect other people from that pain that we've experienced. So when we give advice or when we, you know, when my mom gives me advice, it's from her own pain points, things that she's suffered through in her life that she wants to save me from. So, you know, She'll say something like, oh, well, um, that's not the best way to do that. And I'm like, well, mom, I know. I know what I'm doing, right? Our instinct is, I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do. But then if I just sat and listened to her and thought, okay, she's, she's trying, she's, lo- she's showing me love by giving me advice. And it may seem critical, but in some ways she's trying to express something to me. And then, so if instead I'm, instead of going, well, I know what I'm doing, you know, don't tell me what to do. If I said, well, what do you mean? How, why is this not the best way? What will happen if I do it this way? Or what's another way I can do this? And, or I sat and I explained to her why I do it this way, you know, because I've had this experience. I tried it this way and that happened to me and I did it this way. And so now I do it this way then she may better understand me. And instead of feeling hurt or, you know, insulted by me becoming defensive, we've now created a smoother relationship in which we both actually were connecting, right? Because her whole um, purpose in telling me something, giving me advice is to connect with me, right? To, To protect me. And now instead of, you know, and most of the times when we're interacting with each other, that's what we're trying to do. But now instead of uh, getting at each other's throat and it becoming a big fight, I can mitigate that just by understanding that she's not trying to insult me. She's not trying to control me. She's not trying to do any of that. She's just trying to express love in the best way that she knows how, by protecting me, by giving me advice, by, te- by giving me the experiences that she's had that's caused her some trouble or pain, suffering. So... It's something that I'm learning to see in her instead of seeing the flaws, instead of seeing the criticism, instead of feeling that um, I'm not good enough. I'm just looking at how is she expressing her love in this moment. And that's what I'm focusing on. So that is the character, her um, traits that I'm pulling out, right? Because that's all I'm focusing on. I'm working on focusing on. So there's a saying that we have, right? If we look at all these qualities and we think, well, there's no way I'll experience, I'll exhibit all these qualities. Or if we think of, you know, buck da so-and-so or buck teen so-and-so, there's no way that person can experience, exhibit all these qualities. Like, look how terrible they are. Like, look how rude they are. Look how, you know, this, that, the other, whatever the qualities that we're talking about. 
Um, and we say, no, just by developing Krishna consciousness, right? Krishna, Prabhupada says, just by becoming a devotee of the Lord, these qualities start to manifest. We may think, well, I'll believe it when I see it. How many things have we said that, right? I'll believe it when I see it, right? God is real. I'll believe it when I see it. But really, our attitude and mentality can be, I'll see it when I believe it. Because when you start to believe it, then it manifests in front of you, right? If we start to believe that Krishna, that this, this deity of Kalachanji is actually Krishna, we'll start to see Krishna. So the belief has to come first, then we can see. Um, and so I was thinking about that, like our belief is a choice. We choose whether or not to believe Krishna exists. We choose whether or not to believe Devotees will manifest all the qualities of Krishna, right? And once we make that choice, then we'll see it. Well, if we start to believe that, yes, these devotees, however they are, they are actually on the path of Krishna consciousness, so they already start manifesting some of these qualities. And we start to turn our radar on to detect those qualities, then we will find it. And when we start to try to detect those qualities, we actually inspire that person to bring it out more and more, right? If someone is yelling at me and they're, you know, coming at me and I'm like, wow, you have a lot of passion, you know, you've got a lot of things that you want to express. And I start to like focus on the good qualities of instead of the anger and the insult, you know, then that person will be like, well, yeah, I do. I know what I'm talking about. Right. So then they start to feel themselves like validated maybe in what they're feeling and happier to express more. And they, they immediately calm down and become more pleasant. So these kinds of things, it takes practice. We have to focus on and, and intentionally focus on these things. So, you know, again, we may think, well, certain people have, you know, I myself have been chanting for 26, 27, years, 27 years, 16 rounds. And yet I don't exhibit all 26 of these qualities to the fullest, right? So we can think, well, it must not be true, right? There are people that have been around longer and we can still see that they can get um, angry. They can, they have material desires. They, they're not silent or expert or any of the other qualities that we've said here. But again, it's, we have to realize that what are we focusing on, right? Um, and it's that belief that we all have these qualities and we just have to see it in each other. We have to see it in ourselves and it will come out in the, to the forefront. So we also want to make sure that when we're chanting, we're chanting with that, that, um, full attention, right? That we're chanting with um, the idea of pleasing Krishna. Sometimes we can chant and think, I'm chanting because it's going to bring me clarity. I'm going to feel good during the day. Um, I'm going to be more focused. And surely all of these things will happen when we chant. But our main purpose in chanting japa, singing in kirtan, listening to Bhagavatam classes, is to deepen our relationship with Krishna and to really understand who we are and how we can please Krishna. 
So when we chant, that is what we're looking to do. Yeah, so um so we can we can really focus on these qualities, right? When we're chanting, we can focus on these qualities and how they appear in our lives, whether in ourselves or in other people. And we can focus on really harnessing our relationship to Krishna. These qualities are secondary. We don't have to focus on doing them, but if we know them, we can practice them, right? Like some of these we can practice being truthful. We can practice being equal to everyone. We can practice being magnanimous. We can practice being clean. And the more we practice them, the more they become second nature. And the more we become devoted to Krishna and strengthen and deepen our relationship to God and the Supreme Being, we exhibit more and more of those, of those qualities. So, we can do both. We can work on harnessing these qualities within ourselves and others, as well as harnessing our relationship to Krishna. And the more we harness that relationship to Krishna, the easier we'll find that it becomes to harness that those these qualities that we have um, that are already within us. We just it'll be easier to manifest them. So. It can take some intentional effort. There's some people that, you know, because they're so devoted to Krishna that um, these just come out automatically. They don't have to work out, work on them at all. But majority of us, or I can say maybe for myself, that, you know, I'm still harnessing that devotion to Krishna, that feeling that I'm his servant and everything I do is for him. So for me, it's like I can also look at these qualities and see, you know, what of these qualities can I turn up, you know, turn the volume up on it in myself and how can I do that throughout the day? And the more I chant, the easier that becomes. So So I'll stop here and see if there are any questions. No. All right. Tarantra Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai.